Amen, amen, amen. Thank you to those of you who read the word of God for us this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Sherrible. I'm one of the guys who've had the privilege to help lead our college ministry here at City Light Lincoln. And I am super excited to pick back up in our Sermon on the Mount series this morning. So we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 48, as we just read. So I want to give you guys the opportunity to open up your Bibles there, and I'd love for you guys to read along with me as we dive in to God's Word. Now this command that we get to read in this passage today is the secret to how the kingdom of God overturned the most powerful nation in the world at this point in time. So the setting for our passage is the Roman Empire, the most powerful nation in the world at this point in history, and the audience for our passage is the disciples, predominantly Jewish people who had been oppressed by this same Roman Empire. Now these disciples, they'd been waiting for a Messiah to come and deliver them from this Roman oppressor by power and force and to rule and reign as their God. But we see in this passage today that the kingdom of God was not ushered in by power, but it was ushered in by love. And in our passage today, Jesus makes one of the most radical, outlandish, craziest statements that he has ever made. And that's a really big statement when we're talking about a guy who said to eat his flesh and blood, to hate your father and mother, and to sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. See, Jesus made some incredibly radical statements, and I believe that what he says in our passage today might be the craziest of them all. Jesus tells us, his followers, in our passage today, to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. Now, City Light, if that doesn't sound crazy to you, let me ask you this. How many of you, on a consistent basis, pray for the members of ISIS? How many of you feel compassion and mercy for the last school shooter? How many of you not only forgive those who've wronged you, but move towards them with grace and kindness and mercy? Because this is the type of love that King Jesus is calling us to live into as those who are a part of his kingdom. And I'll be the first to admit to you, City Light, that I have done a horrible job at loving in this way. I have completely and utterly failed at this. So here's what I want us to see as we dive into our passage today. I want us to see not only what type of love that Jesus is calling us to embody, but I want us to see why is Jesus calling us to love in this way? What is his purpose in having us love in this way as those who are adopted into his kingdom? And I want us to see what benefit will we have if we obey Jesus by his grace? What benefit will it bring to us? And what will we miss out on if we don't? Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing his disciples what it looks like to live as people who are adopted into his kingdom. He's not given a bunch of rules and regulations that we have to obey to earn God's love, but he's actually showing us a life that is made possible in response to God's love. What King Jesus is showing us here is that we can love our enemies, not to become God's children, but we can love our enemies. We can forgive those who have hurt us because we already are God's children. So if we miss out on what Jesus is saying in this passage today, we are going to miss out on demonstrating God's love to the world 
sharing in the heart of our Heavenly Father and growing to complete maturity in Christ. City Light, I don't know about you, but as a blood-bought, Jesus-saved, adopted child of God, I don't want to miss out on experiencing all that God has for me. I don't want to miss out on showing his love to the world. I don't want to miss out on growing to complete maturity in Jesus. So this passage today is incredibly important for us. And my hope, my goal, my prayer for today is that we would be a people so transformed by the love of God that we are able to extend that love of God to those in our lives who don't deserve it. My hope, my prayer for us today, City Light, been praying for all of you, is that we'd be so transformed by God's love for us that we'd be able to extend that love to those in our lives that don't deserve it. And we will see in our passage today that this love for enemies can only come through knowing the Savior who died to save his. So that's where we're going today as we pick up in our passage, and we will look at three truths from our text that I want to walk us through. Truth number one, loving our enemies means giving grace instead of getting even. Truth number two, loving our enemies shows that we are children of God. Truth number three, loving our enemies brings us to maturity in Christ. So that's where we're headed. If you guys would look back at verse 38 with me, we'll dive into the text and we'll hop into God's word. So let's pick up Matthew 5, verse 38. It says this, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So truth number one that we see in our text, City Light, is loving your enemies means giving grace instead of getting even. So Jesus opens up by saying, you have heard that it was said. So what Jesus is doing here, he's contrasting what the religious elite believed about God's law with the actual heart behind God's law. So these religious people, they got so caught up in the details of obeying that they actually missed out on what God's heart is. And Jesus steps in as he ushers in his kingdom and he says, hey, I want you to understand not just how to be religious, but the life that you can live through a relationship with me. He's making this contrast. And he goes on. In our text, we see he says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus makes a direct quote from three Old Testament passages. We see this in Exodus, we see this in Leviticus, and we see this in Deuteronomy. Now what that cues us in on, let's remember our audience was Jewish. So when Jesus says this, they would have known the Old Testament. They would have known what Jesus was talking about. And what Jesus is doing is he's quoting the Old Testament law of retaliation. Now, this law of retaliation is the most ancient of all things in civilized humanity. And it's literally the same law that our justice system is still built upon today. Simply put, this law of retaliation says that you will be punished in direct correlation to the crime that you've committed. And it's easiest for us to see this because our hearts actually give way to this ancient tradition, right? Like, you get what you deserve. It's that simple. You do something bad, I'm going to give you something bad. You hit me, I'm going to hit you. You hurt someone I love, you're going to get hurt. You better look out. It's the law of retaliation. You get what you deserve. It just makes sense to us. But then Jesus steps on the scene, and he shows his disciples a new way. He shows the disciples God's true heart. And he continues in verse 39. He says, 
But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Simply put, the world says, get even, and Jesus says, give grace. The world says, get even, and Jesus says, give grace. The world says, hey, when you have evil done to you, repay it with evil. And Jesus says, hey, the children of God are actually going to repay evil with love. It's an otherworldly type of love Jesus is calling us to. But here's the question that is just stirring in my heart, City Light. Why? Like, why is Jesus calling us to love in this way? Why is this the way of his kingdom? Well, one of the oppressive laws at this time in history was that Roman soldiers could force a Jewish person to carry their armor for them for up to one mile. Not two miles, but one. So this was essentially forced labor that the Jewish people had to endure at the hands of their oppressors. So when Jesus says in our text, hey, uh, don't just go one mile, but go two, these Jewish people, our audience, would have immediately known what Jesus is talking about. This is what they would have thought of. Not only would they have thought of this, but they would have hated it. They would have detested it, and they were waiting for their Messiah to come and deliver them from it and say, hey, Romans, knock it off. Put them in their place and to reign alongside their Messiah in power and force and on his throne. That's what the disciples are waiting for. But Jesus says the exact opposite. Look at verse 41. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, can you imagine how the disciples must have felt. They're waiting for their Messiah to deliver them. But Jesus is beginning to show, hey, my kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's not about power. It's not about elevating yourself. It's about lowering yourself to love others. And Jesus, he's calling the disciples to a revolutionary kind of love that a hardened heart of a Roman soldier who looks at this person, he's commanding them to go one mile, and they joyfully and sacrificially and generously go to this Roman soldier would look at them and go, what is different about this person? How are they gracious? How are they joyful in the midst of oppression? How do they continue to love me, the person who's putting them down? And this type of love is how the kingdom of God won the Roman Empire to Christ. Like in 300, 400 years, the Roman Empire came to Christ by this type of love. Ordinary people with an extraordinary love winning the world to Christ by demonstrating this kind of love. So here's what we see in this city light. When we give grace, instead of getting even, we show the world the love of God. When we give grace, instead of getting even, we show the world the love of God. So City Light, here's my question. What would it look like for us to give grace instead of get even? Now, like I mentioned before, this passage is something that I've completely failed at. This sort of love is something I've struggled with in my life. And as I was praying into this passage, God began to stir in my heart. I was asking him, God, how does this apply to me? Now, I have a family member, a close, immediate family member that hurt me in really, really deep ways as a child. And I thought I'd forgiven them. I thought I'd moved on, but I had no desire to pursue them in love. I didn't want to pursue a relationship with them. 
And as I was in this passage, praying for them, trying to walk in obedience to God's command, I felt like God put it so clearly on my heart, Andrew, pick up the phone and call that person. I want you to call them right now. So I picked up the phone, I called them, and I said, hey, I know there's been a lot of hard things that you did in the past that hurt me, and I don't want to bring that up to rehash an old wound or to condemn you or anything like that, but I just want to say, I'm sorry. I just want to say I'm sorry for not pursuing you. I just want to say I'm sorry for not forgiving you. I just want to say I'm sorry for allowing bitterness to creep up in my heart. And I told this person that is one of the people that had hurt me most in my life, I said, I have a God who saved me and has forgiven me, and I want to say I'm sorry that I haven't reflected that love to you. And this conversation was absolutely unbelievable. We both extended forgiveness. Grace was mutually received. We laughed together. Tears were shed. I can't believe it happened to this day as I'm standing here telling it to you. And not only did I get to extend that grace to this person who hurt me, and I believe it's going to have a big impact on their heart, but I got to find freedom and relief in extending that grace and not being marked by the past, but being marked by the love of my Savior. So City Light, there's so much freedom, there's so much joy to walk in this. I want to ask you, what would it look like in your life to give grace instead of getting even? What would it look like for you to not respond evil with evil, but evil with love, and to move towards the people that have hurt you? How might God might want to use that in your life? So we'll see as we continue on in our passage, that as we love in this way, it shows that we are children of God. So if you guys would continue reading with me in our passage, we'll pick back up in verse 43. Verse 43 says this, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So truth number two that we see in our text is that loving your enemies shows that we are children of God. So Jesus, he again uh, contrasts the traditional way of thinking with his day with life in the kingdom. He says, hey, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So the first part of this verse was a quote from the Old Testament again, but the second part of this verse was actually something that had been added over centuries and centuries of religious tradition. So Jesus shows up on the scene, and this had been so institutionalized by the religious elite that these people actually believed they were honoring God by hating their enemies. And Jesus continues, again, he contrasts what life in his kingdom looks like. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is calling his followers to love the worst of the worst, to move towards those who have hurt them. And what this means for us in our day and age, City Light, it means we pray for ISIS. We show compassion to murderers and to sinners. We move towards the people that have hurt us. We forgive those who have wronged us. We move towards that neighbor that no one loves. We pursue that family member that everybody else has ostracized. This is the type of love that we show as God's kids. And what these verses are telling us is that when we demonstrate this kind of love, we're showing that we're children of God. Now look back at verse 45. It says this, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now when Jesus, what Jesus does not mean when he says, so that you may be sons of your Father, is that loving our enemies earns us the right 
to become a child of God. Like you can't earn the right to become a child. You're born into it. You're adopted into it. It isn't something we can work for, but becoming a child of God is solely dependent upon the grace of God. So when Jesus says that loving our enemies, what he means is that loving our enemies shows that God has already become our father, not that we do it so that he would become our father. And it made me think of a guy named Jack Aaron. Now, many of you guys have uh, maybe heard stories about Jack Aaron from Pastor Austin. He loves to use them as illustrations in his sermons. But if you haven't, Jack Aaron is a guy who literally gives his front door code to anybody and anybody just because he loves them so much and anyone is welcome in his home. Jack Aaron is the type of guy who, when he's on a mission trip in Asia and it's 3 a.m. in the morning and he can't sleep because of jet lag, instead of grumbling like a normal human being would, Jack wakes up and he wakes up Pastor Austin laying next to him and he goes, brother, let us praise the Lord for his goodness. Let us pray and cry out to the Lord. Jack Aaron is just this spirit-filled, Jesus-loving, amazing man. Now, about a month or two ago, I went to this conference uh, with the SALT Network, the new college ministry organization we're joining, and the City Light pastors got to meet the SALT Network pastors for the very first time. So we're kind of the new kids on the block. They're like, who are these guys? They're kind of weird, easily excitable. They yell at random stuff. We're not sure. And they're kind of hesitant about us. And they were all really cool, but there was this one guy that I met who just stood out from the rest. And he moved towards me, he, he asked me questions about my life and my story, and he welcomed me with just this intentionality. And I felt so cared for by him. At some point in the week, we were at a, a meeting, and there was a brother in Christ who was in a really hard season in his life, and he shared about it. And we were about to move on to the next line item in the meeting, and this same guy stops and he goes, can we pray for him? Like, let's come around him, let's lay hands, let's just cover our brother in prayer right now. I mean, this, this guy was just a dude that was filled with the Spirit. When he entered the room, you could just tell there was, Jesus was in him. There's no other way to explain it. Now, I would imagine that many of you won't be surprised to hear that this guy's name is Mark Aaron, and that Mark is the son of the same Jack that Austin has told us about. Because when we see how Mark Aaron loves, how he prays, how he pursues people with gospel intentionality, it shows so well who his father is. It just makes sense that his dad is Jack Aaron. Perfect. I don't even need to see a name tag on that guy because the way that he lives shows who his father is. Now, if Mark didn't love in this way, if he was, you know, kicking grandmas and doing other evil stuff, would it make him any less Jack's son? Of course not. It's his birthright. He is an errant by birth, but it wouldn't reflect who his father is. But when Mark loves in that way, it puts on display who his father is. And in a similar way, what Jesus is showing us in our passage is that when we love our enemies, when we forgive those who have hurt us, when we move towards the hard to love, we are showing, we are displaying that we are children of our heavenly father. We are putting God's love on full display when we live in that way. So Jesus is saying that loving our enemies is a byproduct of knowing the Savior who died for his. Because Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrate his demonstrated his love for us when? While we were still his enemies. So not when we were cleaned up, but at our worst moment, our deepest sin, God knowing every sin that you and I would ever commit, that was the moment that the God of the universe 
said, I'm going to step off of my throne. I'm going to put on flesh. Our worst moment, our deepest sin was when God said, I'm going to come down and live a perfect life that we can never live to die a death that you and I deserve to pay for our sins. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, literally being crucified to take the wrath of God that you and I deserve, he cries out and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As Jesus was dying in love for us, he's praying for his enemies. This is the greatest display of loving your enemies that the world will ever see. And it's through confessing our sin and believing in him that we're forgiven and we have eternal life in our God. That's how we come into the kingdom. And when Jesus says to go and love our enemies, he's telling us to extend the same sort of love that he first showed us. So we see loving our enemies is proof that we are children of God, not a payment to become a child of God. So as those who have been adopted as God's children, how do we love our enemies and how do we move towards those who are hard to love? And before we get into that, I know that this can be a really sensitive topic. And I know that there's so many people who have been hurt and wronged and abused and mistreated and wounded in ways that break my heart and that are unimaginable. So before we talk about what it looks like to forgive these people, I want to start by saying I'm sorry that you were hurt in that way. I'm sorry that that sin was committed against you and God, it grieves God's heart deeply. And I want to first say what this does not mean to forgive those who have hurt us and to love our enemies. What this text is not saying is that this is justifying what that person did to you. What this text is not saying is that it's downplaying their sin in their life or forgetting how they hurt you. What it's not saying is that we're gonna continue to let people walk all over us or abuse us or stay in that unhealthy relationship. What it's not saying is that God doesn't care deeply about that sin and that he's not gonna make all things right in his timing. He is a just and righteous judge. It's not saying that we are weak for forgiving. It's not saying any of those things. But simply put, I believe what this passage is saying is that in the response, in response to the grace that you and I have received, and by God's grace empowering us, we are able to extend that same grace to the very people that hurt us. And in doing this, City Light, not only do we get to show the grace of God to them, but we get to find freedom and healing as we live out the grace of God in our own lives. Freedom and healing for us and grace and kindness for them. So now that we've talked about what it doesn't mean and what it does mean, I wanna talk about what this really looks like in our lives. So City Light, I think this sort of love, it means not only forgiving that parent that hurt you, I think it also means pursuing a relationship with them, if it would be healthy healthy, pursuing kindness and compassion towards them. I think this means actually forgiving that person that hurt us in that relationship or that person that abused us when we were a child. I think this means moving towards that neighbor that nobody else wants anything to do with. I think what this passage means for us is that family member that's been ostracized, the black sheep, the drug addict who's stolen from every family member that everybody else has said, we're not going to talk to him anymore. I think it means giving that person a call and saying, you are loved 
by God. You are not defined by what you've done. There's a God who loves you. I think what it means is that coworker, that boss who's a jerk and you'd rather not spend any time around, I think it means FaceTiming him. Or after the coronavirus, I think it means taking him out to lunch and showing him kindness and goodness. Simply put, City Light, I think this sort of love that marks a person who lives in God's kingdom, who's adopted as his child and empowered to do this, I think it means loving those who are hard to love and moving towards people that don't think, act, and talk like us. This is the type of love that Jesus is empowering us to. Now, City Light, I'd imagine that many of you guys sitting on your couch right now have a person in mind. You're thinking of somebody as I shared some of those things, and you're going, Andrew, there's a million and one reasons why they don't deserve my grace and my love. And what I want to say to you in that City Light is you're right. They don't deserve it. And from a worldly perspective, you shouldn't give them an ounce. They haven't earned it. You don't need to. From a worldly perspective, why would you give them that kind of grace and love? But what I also want to say is, isn't that kind of the point? And aren't we, as God's children, the one of all people in the world that understand what it means to get grace when we don't deserve it? City Light family, forgiving our enemies and loving those who have hurt us is not saying their sin's okay. It's not allowing them to abuse us. It's not showing weakness. It's simply saying, I've received this amazing grace of God, and by his grace, I want to demonstrate that same grace to others, that they might come to know Christ, and I might find freedom and healing in him. That's what this passage is saying. And that's what Jesus means when he says, so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. But now that we've talked about uh, what this means and what it doesn't mean, how do we actually move towards these people? How do we actually love those who are hard to love? How do we actually walk towards this forgiveness? Now, simply put, I think we need a little bit of CPR. I'm not talking about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation or anything like that, but I'm talking about choosing to love, praying to love, and repeating. We have to choose to love, we have to pray to love, and we have to repeat Now, when I say choose to love, the reason I say that is because in our culture, I think the reason that we don't love in this way is because our culture defines love as an emotion that you feel. Now, King Jesus is commanding us to love in this way. And I don't think King Jesus is going to command us to do something that is contingent upon emotions which are so fickle and changing. So I think when Jesus commands us to love in this way, it's talking a lot more about engaging our will than it is engaging our emotions. It's engaging our will more than our emotions. It's choosing to love in response to God's love for us even when we don't feel like it. To begin to love in this way, we first have to choose to love in response to God's love for us. Second thing, we have to pray to love. C.S. Lewis, famous author, he says, prayer doesn't change God, prayer changes us. This type of love is an otherworldly love. It's a supernatural love. It's a spirit-born love. It's a love that only comes from, from Christ, and we can't do it on our own. So we have to pray, God, would you change my heart? Would you bring me freedom? Would you bring me healing? Would you change my heart towards this person? City Light, if you have somebody in mind right now, maybe you start by praying, God, I hate them, and I don't want to hate them anymore. God, would you free me from this? God, would you change my heart? Would you make my heart more like yours? God can handle our real prayers. And we have to pray to love if we ever want to love in this way. And last thing is repeat. Verse 45 says that God continues to shine the sun and bring rain to the good and the evil. 
So we have to come to grips with the reality that we can choose to love, we can pray to love, we can say all the right things, and the people that have hurt us could never change. And just like God's grace continues month after month, year after year, this common grace of God that goes over all of his creation, the evil and the just, even those who haven't repented, receiving this common grace from God, we're called to go and extend that likewise. So would we choose to love, would we pray to love, and would we repeat? We must depend upon God for this. And see, like, we're going to see, as we look at our final verses, that as we love in this way, the sort of people we're going to become, the, the type of completion that we're going to grow into as we mature in Christ. So as we finish our passage, if you guys would look back at verse 46 with me, it says this, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, truth number three, loving our enemies brings us to maturity in Christ. CD Light, have you ever spent so much time with somebody that you begin to pick up the qualities that this person has? Since I've joined staff at City Light, I know I've picked up a ton of different qualities from the staff people around me, and for better or for worse, I've adopted a lot of qualities from Pastor Austin. So I don't know, you might even notice, I kind of communicate in a way that he communicates. I lead meetings in the way that he leads meetings. I tell similar jokes to the jokes that he tells. I have similar facial expressions to him. I've adopted all of these qualities about Austin as we've been in relationship together over the past few years. And I've even begun to say things that Austin says. So you wouldn't be surprised if we're hanging out and you hear me say something like, dude, you are a gospel beast. Gospel beast, bro. Or you wouldn't be surprised if I was like, man, you're such a legend. And not just a legend, but you, you're a legend in a world of legends. Or here's my favorite one that I picked up from Austin. You say, that's decent. And for some reason, decent is decent but it doesn't mean decent. It means you actually love it a lot. That's kind of a confusing one, but that's what it means. I've picked up these things that Austin says, and you wouldn't believe it, but I even watched all seven episodes of Tiger King. And I don't know if I can blame that one on Austin, but I'm going to die trying, okay? I'm going to try to put that one on him. But City Light, you get the point. We begin to adopt the qualities of those who we're in relationship with. Have you guys ever experienced that with somebody around you? Because that's what Jesus is saying will happen to Christians as they're in close proximity in relationship with God. They're saying that as we're in relationship with God, we're going to adopt his qualities. We're going to begin to have his heart and his ways. So when Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, he's saying that as we love like God loves, we'll be perfected into the image of Christ. We will be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Now, this word perfect in the Greek text could also be translated as completed. So, this passage isn't saying that we're ever going to achieve perfection on this side of eternity, but it's saying after we strive for God in response to God's love and set our eyes on Him, we're going to be completed into growing to look more like Jesus. As we love how God loves, we're completed in Him. Simply put, when you're a child of the king, you start to look like the king. But what does this love look like? 
Well, look back at verses 46 and 47. It says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So Jesus is basically saying, hey, ISIS members, they love other ISIS members. He's saying drug dealers, they love other drug dealers. Iowa Hawkeyes fans, they love other Iowa Hawkeyes fans. He's saying bad people can love other bad people. What does that prove? But the kids of the king are called to a far greater love than just loving people that think, act, and talk like us. Sinners can love in that way. And City Light, can we admit that we have failed at this? As the church, as God's children, we've failed in this. I'll be the first to admit it. I typically, usually, only love those who look like me and act like me that I enjoy to be around. And this type of love, it doesn't set me apart. And it doesn't set us apart. There's nothing different about it. There's nothing that the world looks at and goes, man, that reflects the grace of Jesus. Man, those people love in a way that puts the love of God on display. People don't look at that and be reminded of the goodness of an extraordinary God. So City Light, sinners can love others who are like them. What reward is there in that? And I've got to be honest. When I hear Jesus talk about reward, it kind of confuses me, and I don't get how all of it works. But I think that in this passage, when Jesus says the reward, he could be meaning two specific things. And I think one reward is internal and one is external. The reward that's internal, I believe, as we love in this way, is experiencing the joy of loving like our Father. And I think the second reward is getting to see the love of our Father expand into the world. So one is in us, and the other is through us. So starting with the first, this love, this reward that is uh, internal as we love in this way. It makes me think of a little kid and his father, and how a little kid follows his dad around his house when he's working, and he has his little plastic tool set, you know, his little fake hammer, and dad's getting stuff done around the house. The kid's really not doing anything, but he's just so excited to be a part of the work that his dad is doing, and that's what this makes me think of. When we love our enemies, forgive those who have hurt us, extend grace when it's not deserved, we get to share in the work of our heavenly father. We get to be a part of the family business because our God came to seek and to save the lost. Our God came to die and pursue, die for and pursue his enemies. And when we love in this way, we get to partake in that. Though it's hard, though it's painful, we share the joy of loving like Jesus did. And what I mean when I say an external reward for loving how Jesus loves is we get to see the kingdom of God advance in the lives of those around us. So just like a Roman soldier would have looked at that Jewish person and said, what's different about them? When we love in this way, it reflects the love of Christ to the world. And there is no greater opportunity to share and to show the gospel than calling somebody who's hurt you and say, I just want to let you know that because of how much Christ has forgiven me, I forgive you. No greater opportunity to share the gospel. So not only does God do a work in us, but God does a work through us as we actually live as the salt and light of the world, as Jesus said at the beginning of this chapter. People actually see our good works and give glory to God, as he said at the beginning of this chapter. This is what it means to be a part of his kingdom. This is the life that we're empowered to live, not to earn God's favor, but in response to the favor that he's already shown us in Jesus 
Now, City Light, as we're thinking about moving towards this kind of love, this is a sort of love that looks a whole lot like our Savior. Think about going the extra mile, as Jesus called the disciples. Jesus didn't just go the extra mile. Jesus went the infinite mile. We're talking about God here. We're talking about the God who became a man who stepped out of eternity into time and space to live a perfect life, to die a criminal's death on a cross to pay for our sins. Talk about somebody going the extra mile. Jesus went the infinite mile. He did whatever it took to provide for the payment of our sins. And think about loving those who don't love you, loving those who are hard to love. Jesus didn't love you when you were all cleaned up and pretty, when you had your church clothes on, when you got your Bible all marked up, you're showing up to church on time, haven't sinned in a week, not that that's possible. That's not when Jesus loved you. Jesus loved us at our very worst. That's when he demonstrated his love for us. There is nothing lovable about us except for God saying, I love them, and they're my children, and I'm going to save them, and I'm going to redeem them. See, going the extra mile and loving those who are hard to love is seeing, its greatest display is seen in King Jesus. So the first thing that I want to ask is maybe you're tuning in. As we mentioned before, maybe you started coming to these online church gatherings. You've never attended church. You're not a church person. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing that Christianity isn't just this religious to-do list. Christianity isn't just being a good person. Christianity isn't just trying to work your way to God, but Christianity is admitting that you never could, that you're sinful, and that you need a Savior. And if you're tuning in and you've never responded to that message, that is the Christian message, that is the gospel. There's a God that loves you so much, who has you tuned in right now for the first time for some reason, that wants to know you. So if you've never given your life to him, Would you pray to him today and make him the Lord of your life? No better decision we could ever make. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a child of God, I want to leave us with this story. We have a brother in Christ. His name's Prabhan. He's from India. He was here a couple months ago, standing on this stage, giving the most fire call to worship I've ever heard. It was insane. This guy is crazy filled with the Spirit. He leads an orphanage and a school for Indian children called Bethel. Now, Uh, He's persecuted for his faith in India, and there were literally these people who came and burnt his home down. And Prabhupada had to flee into the forest for his very life with his family. And how did Prabhupada respond? He didn't run. He didn't find a different career. He didn't move to a different country. No, Prabhupada actually went back. He rebuilt his home, and he continued to minister to the very people that literally tried to take his life. Right now, the coronavirus is running around the world, and people are losing their lives. You know what Prabhupada's doing? He's ministering to the kids and the families that tried to take his life because of his faith. You know why Prabhupada's doing that? It's not because he's trying to be a good moral person. It's not because he's trying to earn his way to God. It's not because he wants glory for himself. Prabhupada is doing that because he has experienced an otherworldly, supernatural love of God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that love and that forgiveness that Prabhupada has experienced despite his sin has moved him to want to show that love and forgiveness to a world that desperately needs a savior. Prabhupada's not doing it to earn God's love. He's doing it in response to God's love. This is the life that is made possible by the power and the spirit and the grace of God. So when Jesus calls us to this, 
He wouldn't call us to this if he hasn't given us everything to make it possible. So City Light, would we be a people that extend this love to those who've hurt us? Would we be a people that extend this love to others? And would we not only get to see the kingdom of God advance through us, but would we find freedom and healing and joy within us? So City Light, I really want to practically ask you this today. Who's that person that you need to call this week? Who's that person you need to FaceTime? Who's that person that you need to pray for? Would we be a people that are marked by the love of Christ and in response to it, we show that love to the world around us? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are. Jesus, I thank you that you showed your love for us and that while we are still enemies, you died for us. God, I pray for every person tuning in. I pray for all of the hurt and the wounds. God, the people that have been uh, wronged by sin in this world, and God, we lay that at your feet. It's not okay, and God, we ask that you bring freedom and healing and that you would transform hearts to be able to not only forgive but to actually show love. God, we pray that the people that have hurt us would actually come to know you by this supernatural forgiveness that you allow us to extend to them. So God, all of the wounds, all of the hurts, I give them to you. Would you bring healing to my brothers and sisters in Christ? And God, if any of my uh, friends that are tuning in have not come to know you, God, would you lead them to giving their life to you today? So God, we love you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.